This is Mary welcoming you to the 2363rd edition of the Enfield Talking newspaper, dateline 16th October 2023. The readers this week are Joel, Sarah M and myself, with Hass on the controls. Editing, production and distribution is by the team. Our title music is Country Rock Polka, composed by Pat Prilly, Fernand Bouillon, Harry Brewer. It is performed by Jean-Jacques Perret and is used with his kind permission. The local news stories that we will be reading come from the Enfield Independent, the Enfield Dispatch and BBC News under their copyright. For the week beginning 23rd October, the sunrise time is 07.37 and the sunset time 17.51. We now have some special notices from Enfield Vision and Enfield Home Library Service, which Sarah will read for you. Enfield Vision is a group of visually impaired people determined to improve the environment and to reduce the everyday problems of blind and partially sighted people. They are registered with a charity commission as an organisation with the specific aim of promoting the well-being of visually impaired people living in Enfield. We hold a drop-in morning on the third Thursday in each month from 10am to 1pm at Park Avenue Resource Centre, Bushill Park, Enfield. And our exercise classes are now running again. For further information, please contact us on 0208 373 6260 or email information at enfieldvision.org.uk I'll give you those contact numbers again. Telephone number is 020-8373-6260 and the email is information at enfieldvision.org.uk And now a notice from the Enfield Home Library Service. Did you know that Enfield has a home library service? That means that if mobility, disability or caring responsibilities make it difficult for you to visit the library, then we can bring the library to you, and there is no charge. The Home Library is run in conjunction with the Royal Voluntary Service, who vet and manage our volunteers. You tell us the sort of thing you like to read, and we will select books for you and deliver them to your home once every four weeks. As well as ordinary print titles, we have audiobooks on CDs and large print titles. There are also a limited number available in different languages. Separately, the Enfield Home Library Service offers assistance with digital library content. So we can help you get to grips with borrowing e-books or audiobooks from the library to read or listen to on a phone or tablet. For more information or to see if you can sign up for this service, email enfield.hls at royalvoluntaryservice.org.uk That's enfield.hls at royalvoluntaryservice.org.uk Or call Shauna Teven on 07826511094 That's 07826511094 Do get in touch with us to share your own news and special announcements. We love to hear from you. If you have any comments about the Enfield Talking newspaper, please phone Diane DeJosie on 07899 854 
582. That's 07899854582. She is your listener's representative and will be pleased to help you. And now for a rather lovely lead story about a beaver kit that's been spotted in Enfield. Enfield's beaver reintroduction project has made history again after a baby kit was spotted for the first time this summer. Enfield Council launched London's first beaver reintroduction programme in 2022, bringing beavers back to the capital for the first time in 400 years as part of a rewilding and natural flood management project. This has been done in partnership with Capel Manor College, London's environmental college, and with advice from the Beaver Trust. It is thought that this is the first baby beaver to be born in London for hundreds of years. Beavers were hunted to extinction in England, but have been reintroduced in recent times to some areas across the country. Enfield's baby beaver was caught on camera over the summer in the specially built enclosure created by Enfield Council near Forty Hall. With guidance provided by the Beaver Trust, Capel Manor College intends to capture the new beaver and give it a thorough on-site health check with an experienced exotic animal vet and to confirm its sex, which at this stage remains undetermined. Enfield councillor responsible for environment Rick Jewell said, This truly is wonderful news. The adult beavers are quite young, so we weren't sure they would breed successfully in such a short space of time. You can already see the positive impact the beavers are having through their natural landscaping of the area. The beavers' hard work creating a natural wetland ecosystem will contribute to excellent flood defences, protecting the local area and hundreds of homes from flooding downstream to the southeast of the borough, while encouraging local biodiversity to thrive. They really are remarkable animals. This project contributes to our rewilding activities and is having an extremely positive impact on our borough, supporting our climate action objectives and blue and green strategy. Capel Manor College's supervisory team had noticed earlier this year that the female beaver appeared to be pregnant. The beaver couple has also been extremely active over the past few months, expanding their sizeable domed lodge and felling several trees, including a large willow, which will regrow by shooting out new stems. Dams are also visible across the site, a sign that the beavers are getting on well and truly making their home in Enfield. And there's a a really sweet picture of a beaver in the water covered in green algae. Watchdog downgrades hospital rating. A hospital that cares for young people with mental health problems has had its rating downgraded over safety concerns. The Priory Hospital North London in the Bourne Southgate has been told to make improvements to its Child and Adolescent Mental Health Service, CAMHS, by the Care Watchdog Care Quality Commission, CQC. Inspectors from the regulator carried out an unannounced inspection of the CAMHS service in March this year. In a report published last month, The watchdog downgraded the hospital's rating from good to requires improvement after highlighting a range of concerns. 
The hospital says it has acted swiftly to implement the actions required by the watchdog. The CQC's report states that staff did not always monitor young people's physical health in line with the provider's provider's standard operating procedure or national guidance after they had received medicines via rapid tranquilisation, meaning that they may be at potential risk of harm. A hospital spokesperson said, Having had a successful independent NHS quality inspection in the month prior to this inspection, we are disappointed in this rating, which is based on a narrow inspection of one area of our service. We have acted swiftly to implement required actions. Our wards meet NHS England specifications for autistic young people. Unlocking power of young voices, join our school journalism scheme by Diana Jarvis. With less than three weeks to secure your spot for this academic year, schools are rapidly signing up their students for the NewsQuest Young Reporter Scheme. Starting up for the 16th year, this scheme has been given thousands of students huge advantages through taking part in this unique opportunity. The scheme runs for eight months and allows young people to publish articles directly onto the NewsQuest's online range of newspapers. This helps broaden their horizons, build their confidence and hone their writing skills. Students are treated like real journalists and offered opportunities to cover various press events, interview people and write up the theatre reviews, giving them exposure to situations that they wouldn't normally experience. Jack Mallison, who organises a scheme at Townley Grammar School, said, The Young Reporter Scheme allows students to find their own voice, experience the importance of deadlines and share the stories that speak to them in a manageable and professional manner. At a time when news is becoming more and more polarising, it is imperative that we are encouraging the next generation to be a part of this sphere and a force for change. The scheme is open to school years 10 to 13, and those students who are keen to follow journalism as a career can move into the NewsQuest apprenticeship scheme from the end of year 11 upwards. Ezekiel Bertrand, who was one of our young reporters last year, secured a position on the apprenticeship programme at the end of year 11. He said that he was so glad that he had chosen to do an apprenticeship rather than go on to sixth form and added, Doing the Young Reporter scheme was definitely the foundation of what got me into journalism and news reporting. I highly suggest doing the scheme as it gives you pre-experience and introduces you to the field. But this scheme is not all about working for the media. Hundreds of students who have completed it have gone into completely different careers. A lot of them have said that doing the scheme helped prepare them for university and make the transition to forge ahead into the world of business. Jenny Greenland from Tolworth Girls' School in sixth form said, This scheme gives students real work experience, not just developing their writing skills and time management, but giving them some amazing opportunities to review. To register for an information pack, please visit www.youngreporter.co.uk forward slash registration. Dealers of laughing gas will fail sorry will face up to 14 years in prison as nitrous oxide becomes illegal from November. It will be banned from November the 8th and serious repeat offenders could be jailed for up to 2 years the home office said. The nitrous oxide ban was promised as part of the government's anti-social behavior action plan. It will make the substance a controlled Class C drug under the Misuse of Drugs Act 1971. 
secondary legislation laid on Wednesday, October 18th will mean possession of nitrous oxide where a person intends to wrongfully inhale it will be an offence. The Home Office said users could receive an unlimited fine, a visible community punishment or a caution which would appear on their criminal record or a prison sentence. If anyone has a legitimate reason for having the drug, they will be exempt from the ban, the Home Office added. What is nitrous oxide used for? The drug is used in maternity wards as a pain relief during labour and is also used in the catering sector. Nitrous oxide is the third most used drug among 16 to 24-year-olds in England and police have reported links to antisocial behaviour including intimidating gatherings on high streets and in children's parks and empty canisters strewn across public spaces, the Home Office added. Crime and Policing Minister Chris Philp said, We're delivering on the promise we made to take a zero-tolerance approach towards antisocial behaviour and flagrant drug-taking in our public spaces. Abuse of nitrous oxide is also dangerous to people's health and today we are sending a clear signal to young people that there are consequences for misusing drugs. Both users and dealers will face the full force of the law for their actions. Kensington and Chelsea Council said that waste crews who cleaned up after the Notting Hill Carnival in August estimated they collected 13 tonnes of laughing gas canisters from the, tree, from the streets. Five skips were filled by crews with an estimated 12,000-plus canisters. Chief Executive of Nighttime Industries Association, Michael Kill, said, We welcome the announcement by the government today that nitrous oxide is sent to be banned under new government legislation by November 8th, but recognise that this must work hand-in-hand with a much broader education and harm reduction strategy on drugs across the country. The burden on businesses has been substantial as they've contended with mounting pressure from authorities and residents due to the proliferation of discarded silver canisters on the streets. This predicament has not only posed risks to the well-being of both staff and patrons, but has also fostered an environment conducive to petty crime, antisocial behaviour and the activities of organised crime syndicates. We now have an item which is a follow-on from a story we told you about in July about a pair of musical brothers whose talent took them to Glastonbury. The story from this week's dispatch is entitled Enfield Grammar Old Boys Win Mercury Prize. A jazz band, including two members from Enfield, have scooped one of the biggest prizes in the music industry after their album where I'm meant to be, won the 2023 Mercury Prize. Ezra Collective is composed of drummer Femi Colioso and bassist TJ Colioso, both alumni of Enfield Grammar School, plus keyboardist Joe Armand-Jones, trumper Ife Ogunjobi and tenor saxophonist James Mollison. The group beat off competition from Arctic Monkeys and Jesse Ware to win the Mercury Prize last month. It follows a highly acclaimed performance at Glastonbury in June. Ezra Collective are the first ever jazz band to win the prize. Accepting the award, frontman Femi said, If a jazz band winning the Mercury Prize doesn't make you believe in God, I don't know what will. 
This moment that we're celebrating right here is testimony to good, special people putting time and effort into young people playing music. This is not just a result for Ezra Collective. This is not just a result for UK Jazz. But this is a special moment for every single organisation across the country, ploughing their efforts into young people playing music. Femi went on to reel off a list of organisations that he said had contributed to Ezra Collective's success, including Enfield Grammar. In a congratulatory message on its website, Enfield Grammar School said... This is such fabulous news and we are delighted for our old boys and their bandmates. At the awards ceremony, Femi's speech thanked people and organisations that gave support during their musical journey. And again, we are so proud to get a mention and to know how our passionate music department was one of the various platforms that helped springboard these ex-students to where they are now. He emphasises how important all our local youth groups and services are in the UK, believing in and giving young people a chance. Mr Escott, who is still teaching within our music department, was one of their music teachers when they were here in the school, and he recently got the chance to meet Ezra Collective at Abbey Road Studios. What an honour! The school added... These brothers, Femi and TJ, and their bandmates, are a shining example of what dedication and hard work can achieve, from the Year 7 band to Mercury Prize winners. Residents back on the ice. Two care home residents and former ice skaters were thrilled when their wish to return to the rink was made a reality. Rose Patience, aged 97, and Patricia Hart, aged 81, both residents who live at Care UK's Elizabeth Lodge in Pennington Drive, were keen ice skaters in their younger years and would often visit their local ice rinks. When the team at Elizabeth Lodge learned that Rose and Patricia were keen to return to the ice, they arranged for them to visit their local ice rink, Lee Valley Ice Centre. On the day, Rose, Patricia and the team put on their woolly hats and gloves, laced up their skates and glided onto the ice for an afternoon skating around the rink with team members from Elizabeth Lodge on hand for support. Commenting on the day, Rose said, I loved moving around on the ice as it reminded me of when I was a young girl. Patricia said, I loved it. The faster the better. I never thought I would experience being on the ice again. The visit formed part of Elizabeth Lodge's Wishing Tree initiative, which encourages residents to put wishes forward, allowing them to reconnect with a past hobby or try something completely new, from flying on a plane to enjoying a fish and, a fish and chip supper, no wish is too big or small. Action promised to tackle noisy car meets as barriers arrive at A10 Retail Park. Two public meetings hear concerns from residents while local councillors, police officers and Transport for London pledge to get a grip on the issue, reports Simon Allen, local democracy reporter. Concrete barriers have been installed at Coliseum Retail Park. Car meets could be banned across Enfield following calls for action from residents whose lives have been blighted by noise and dangerous driving. The Council is planning to expand its current Public Space Protection Orders, PSPOs, against car meets to cover the whole borough rather than specific designated areas, with a consultation on the proposal set for November. PSPOs work by banning nuisance behaviour in public spaces, with those caught breaking the rules liable to face fines or prosecution. 
In the short term, new bollards and concrete blocks have been installed at the car park of Coliseum Retail Park beside the A10 dual carriageway to prevent it being used by drivers performing dangerous stunts. It comes on top of measures previously implemented by Transport for London, which included installing average speed cameras along a section of the A10 between the M25 and Southbury Road. But during a public meeting on Monday the 9th of October, the second to discuss the topic in the space of a week, residents and councillors called for further measures to crack down on speeding drivers with modified exhausts who have been causing noise pollution and endangering residents for years. James Hockney, a Bushill Park ward councillor, who has long campaigned on the issue, convened Monday's public meeting on the speeding problems at St Peter's Church, Grange Park. Councillor Hockney has drawn up an eight-point charter designed to stop the problems. It calls on the council to seek an injunction against illegal car cruising and meets, deploy antisocial behaviour officers and mobile CCTV to hotspots, amend the PCPO to cover the whole of the borough, and take enforcement action against car park owners who fail to install security measures. The Charter also urges TfL to introduce noise cameras along the A10, roll out average speed cameras from Southbury Road to Great Cambridge Junction, and bring back the enhanced police resources of City Hall's Vision Zero operation. During the meeting, residents gave accounts of how car meets and dangerous driving had affected their lives. Representatives from the Metropolitan Police and TfL attended the meeting and were questioned by the public. Mike said an academic paper had been drawn up proposing using undercover police officers in learner cars, but the idea was not even trialled, despite the cost to the Met being almost zero. He asked for covert policing to catch dangerous drivers. Inspector Richard Lee from the Met Police said only two of his 15 officers were trained to drive on blue lights and Enfield was at a disadvantage because it's halfway between two garages. He said he agreed with the need for a covert approach but did not have the resources to do it, although he pledged to raise the issue with the Met. Officers explain that members of the public could upload dashcam footage to help catch dangerous drivers using the Met's website. They also insisted that drivers using fake number plates to try and dodge speed cameras were stopped and taken to court. When a resident asked why speed hunts were not used on the A10, Rob Varney from TfL said introducing them would probably be more dangerous than it is effective in reducing speeds. Quizzed on what actions TfL would take, Rob said speed and noise cameras were some of the things we can look at. He said local authorities had installed noise pollution cameras and encouraged Enfield Council to explore the option. Rob added, I have committed to listening and I've heard some very good ideas this evening. I will continue to work with policing team and hopefully we'll find some solutions. Councillor Hockney said, TfL had committed to working with Road Transport Police on carrying out additional speed checks. He added that he had spoken to three car park owners about how they could help resolve the problem and would have a series of meetings with them. 
local councillors will lobby the council and TfL to implement the charter he has drawn up. Ryan strikes Euros relay gold. Lee Valley Athletics Centre star Joanne Ryan was celebrating after striking gold at the European Masters Athletics Championships. Ryan sprinted to a four times 100 metre relay victory with Great Britain teammates in Italy, highlighting her talent on the track and the commitment she has shown in balancing her professional responsibilities and athletic pursuits. Known for her warm and welcoming presence as a concierge at Lee Valley Velo Park, Ryan has once again demonstrated that with grit and dedication one can excel in both career and sport. While her days are spent assisting visitors and ensuring their experiences are top-notch, her evenings are devoted to gruelling training sessions six times a week at Lee Valley Athletic Centre. All of my hard work and training is paying off, and we girls smashed it, said Ryan. I would like to thank everyone who supports me. I could not have achieved this level without my coach, Lawrence Lynch, and my army of supporters, including Paul, my fiancé, and my amazing mum, dad and family. Also, a big thank you to GLL Sports Foundation for supporting me. It's a wonderful feeling to be a European champion and to be part of the team. I still can't believe it. GLL is a charitable social enterprise that manages 260 sports venues, leisure centres, gyms and pools under the Better brand in collaboration with nearly 50 local authorities and sports organisations. The GLL Sport Foundation, which is the largest independent athletic award programme in the UK, provides a 1.2 million fund comprising financial bursaries, training and access memberships, physiotherapy and more to athletes. This support aims to assist talented athletes in preparing and competing at national and international competitions. Over the past 15 years, the GLL Sport Foundation has consistently been at the forefront of developing local young athletic talent having awarded an impressive total of 14 million in 25,000 awards since 2008. You can find out more about the GLL Sport Foundation, which has also supported Olympic stars such as Tom Daly, Matty Lee and others. Or if you want to become a member at the Lee Valley Athletic Centre, visit better.org.uk forward slash leisure hyphen centre forward slash Lee hyphen Valley forward slash athletics hyphen center forward slash membership. That's better.org.uk forward slash leisure hyphen center forward slash Lee hyphen Valley forward slash athletics hyphen center forward slash membership. London's cluttered pavements are a chronic issue report finds the report found cluttered streets were making London a worse place to live, visit and work in. Central London has chronic issues with street clutter making it a worse place to live, visit and work in, a think tank has warned. A-boards, disused phone boxes and rubbish bags all make pavements unwalkable, especially for those who are mobility or sight impaired. Good Street in W1, Charing Cross Road in WC2 and Belvedere Road in SE1 were assessed as part of a report. The Centre for London described it as a pivotal equalities issue. 
The research suggests unresolved clutter is stopping disabled people having equal access to streets and shops. The report called Reducing Street Clutter in Central London also found the city centre's clutter makes it harder for people to navigate the city, consequently reducing potential footfall for local businesses. The report recommends that A boards should be banned while local authorities should incorporate decluttering strategies into their existing street-related activities and work with business improvement districts to reduce the impact of commercial waste on local streets. Street clutter, poorly placed or redundant objects on pavements that negatively affect pedestrians' ability to move around specifically applies to the objects on the street that are disused such as discarded e-bikes and vandalised phone boxes, as opposed to their functional equivalents. Nearly half, 47% of all street clutter, was found to have a moderate or severe impact on the walkability of pavements for pedestrians. Millie Mitchell from Centre for London said, London is a fantastic global city, but it isn't going far enough in in ensuring everyone can enjoy walking in its city centre equally. Our research has revealed the growing accessibility issues that street clutter presents. It's stopping people from walking to where they need to be and the knock-on impacts are worrying for businesses, for London's net zero targets and for disabled Londoners. With the right action from government, businesses and local authorities, we can make sure the need to reduce street clutter is taken more seriously. This would make London a role model for urban walkability across the world. Dockless e-bikes as well as science and pavement cafes add to the clutter. Almost a quarter of London over 50s living in poverty. An Age UK report says older people's poverty in the capital is higher than the national average, reports uh, Noah Vickers, local democracy reporter. Almost a quarter of over 50s in London are living in poverty, a new report has found. The latest research from Age UK London shows that while 19% of older people across the country are in poverty, the figure in the capital rises to 24%. The report says that if poverty rates for over 50s in London were at the same rate as the rest of England, about 125,000 fewer older people in the capital would be in poverty. Abby Wood, Age UK, London's CEO, said the report underscores the pressing need for affordable and accessible housing options, as well as comprehensive measures to alleviate poverty among this vulnerable demographic. The charity said it is concerned with the figures relating to older private renters, with poverty rates at 28%. Despite this being a drop from a pre-pandemic peak of 34%, the number of older renters in poverty remains nearly two times the rate of their home-owning peers, at 16%. One older person says in the report, I'm very scared of how I will get through the winter and keep warm. I fear losing my privately rental home because I cannot cope with the rising cost of living. In a call for improvements from policymakers, Abby said, there is still a long way to go to tackle poverty amongst older Londoners. The capital, one of the richest cities in the world, continues to have the highest poverty rates of any region in the UK and it has increased instead of fallen over the past decade. The issue was raised at a Mayor's Question Time session on Thursday the 12th of October by Joanne McCartney, 
Enfield and Haringey's Labour member of the London Assembly. She asked Major Sadiq Khan what support he is putting in place for older Londoners. Khan said he was very concerned by rising poverty among older people, which he said had been driven by austerity over the last 13 years. He pointed to his campaign to boost the uptake of pension credit across the capital. His attempts to boost affordable homes and the funding he has given to face-to-face advice services in the capital. McCartney asked how he will help those without internet access find out about his energy advice and warmer homes advice services, a problem mentioned in Age UK London's report. The mayor said it was spot on to look at digital inclusion, which he said became a particularly clear issue during the pandemic. He added that City Hall is aware of the need to provide information in paper format for those offline. A government spokesperson said there are 200,000 fewer pensioners in absolute poverty than in 2009-10 and the government remains committed to protecting pensioners. That is why we make the biggest state pension increase in history this year as well as boosting pension credit worth around £3,500 a year for those on the lowest incomes. On top of this, pensioners most in need will receive up to £600 this winter to help with essential costs and we are bearing down on inflation to make everyone's money go further. We now have a letter um, from Councillor David Fothergill, the Local Government Association's Community Wellbeing Board member, to the Enfield Independent this week, entitled Ban Disposable Vapes. He says, We are pleased the government has listened to councils and is bringing forward measures to restrict the availability of vapes to children. However, disposable vapes are an inherently unsustainable product, meaning an outright ban remains the most effective solution to this problem. Single-use vapes blight our streets as litter, are a hazard in our bin lorries, and are expensive and difficult to deal with in our recycling centres. Their colours, flavours and appetising are appealing to children and are a risk to the health of young people. Sing with us. Jenny Barker introduces Rowan Tree Choir. Rowan Tree Choir was set up in 1959 as part of an adult education programme. Currently there are over 60 singers and we are led by our esteemed and multi-talented conductor and musical director Jonathan Rathbone. Much of our music is arranged by Jonathan and our choir rehearsals are interspersed with fun and laughter. We sing in four parts, soprano, alto, tenor and bass. Like all choirs, we would welcome more tenors and basses. Some women are tenors too. If you don't know how to read music, it really doesn't matter. We have an amazing accompanist and Jonathan is exceptionally skilled at working with all the parts to sing together. At times, we even manage to sing without accompaniment, a cappella. Not only does Jonathan go over the music at rehearsals, but there are also opportunities to practice each part online. We perform three concerts a year. The next one is in December, which has a Christmas theme with orchestral accompaniment. As well as a short choral work, there are any number of festive songs arranged by Jonathan and carols for audience participation. At Easter, we sing a choral work. The summer concert is a mix of all sorts of music, from shows to familiar tunes through the decades. If you would like to join, there is no audition and the first term is free. 
We start rehearsing for the December concert at the beginning of October, so do come along and try us out. And of course, remember that singing is good for you. Rowan Tree Choir rehearses on Tuesday evenings from 7.30pm at Bushill Park Methodist Church Hall, Wellington Road, Enfield, EN12RS. For more information, visit rowantree.org.uk. Town Boss Super Gutted by FA Cup Exit Enfield Town Boss Gavin McPherson admitted he was super gutted after their FA Cup fourth qualifying round exit at Cray Valley PM. The club missed out on the first round proper for the third time in eight years after a frustrating 5-2 loss. And their conquerors were then handed a trip to League One side Charlton Athletic when the draw was made the following day. I've got so many complaints about what happened in the game, but it's not why we lost, and I want to apologise to the fans who travel in their numbers, McPherson told the club website. Believe me, I'm super gutted. There were some poor performances, and some of them have to take a hard look at themselves. I include myself in that because the buck stops with me. I know how much it would have meant to this football club. Marcus Wiley gave Town a six-minute lead after good works from Mickey Parcell and Ollie Knight, only for Kyra Lisby to level. Rhys Beckles-Richards restored Town's lead with a shot on the turn, but the hosts equalised in first-half stoppage time thanks to Lisby's header. Freddie Parker fired a third past Rhys Forster after the restart, and the visitors had penalty claims waved away early when substitute Dylan Ajay Hersey was challenged in the box. Sam Youngs was then given his marching orders for a second bookable offence on 85 minutes, with Parker and Adam Coombs adding late goals to compound their misery. The game was always going to run away from us once Sam got sent off, but we had two stonewall penalties – one with Josh in the first half and the other at a crucial time in the second when even their bench was grimacing, thinking it was going to be given, added McPherson. But that's no excuse and I have to look to the supporters in the eye and say I'm sorry for us falling short. It was nowhere near good enough. Town returned to Ishmian League Premier Division at Kingstonian on Wednesday, then visit Lewis on Saturday and Billericay Town on Tuesday. Enfield found Ishmian North leaders Lowestoft too strong on Saturday. They were reduced to 10 men when Vinnie Murphy was dismissed, with the visitors netting five second-half goals to run out 5-0 winners. Ease will look to bounce back when they head to mid-table rivals Basildon United this weekend. Enfield Borough lost 4-0 at home to Thurlow Nunn League Division 1 South leaders Dunmo Town. They've lost their last five games in all competitions, being outscored 25-2 to and head to Clapton Community on Saturday. Disused garages transformed into breathtaking space for Edmonton entrepreneurs. James Cracknell attends the official opening of Angel Yard, where 35 affordable units for local businesses have been created. A new hub for young entrepreneurs has been officially launched on a housing estate in Angel Edmonton after being created from the shells of disused garages. Angel Yard, sited between Joyce Avenue and Snells Park Estates, 
comprises 35 adaptable workspaces designed for business people aged 18 to 30 who can access training and support to help develop their ideas. Several of the units have been operating since June, with entrepreneurs including an illustrator, wig maker and aquaponics educator now trading there. The eye-catching design for Angel Yard by Jan Katain Architects incorporates lattice timber frames supporting a translucent canopy through two connected streets, while barrel-vaulted roofs adorn each of the former garages now being let as business units. A launch event last month took place during a series of open-house festival events around Angel Edmonton, showcasing new street art, a poetry trail, and the recent refurbishment of Four Street Library. Chinelo Anyu, Infield Council's Cabinet Member for Public Spaces, Culture and Local Economy, cut the ribbon on Angel Yard after giving an emotional speech about the project, explaining she could never imagine something like this when she was a girl growing up in the area. Councillor Anyu said... What is happening here is close to my heart because it's, because it is much needed. As Enfield Council, we invest in places and people so they can thrive and they have more life choices. Although there will be a massive regeneration here, we cannot wait for that. It needs to happen now for everyone in the community. And I am so joyous to see people here and the units fully open. The design is absolutely breathtaking. Angel Yard cost £1.4 million to build and was funded through the Mayor of London's Good Look Growth Fund. Charity Launch It is now managing the space and is supporting each of the entrepreneurs that take up residence, with 50% rental discounts offered for the first two years. Launch It Chief Executive Pat Shelley said... We want to create a legacy of young people who become inspirational for other young people who visit this site. The dispatch spoke to two of the entrepreneurs who have already moved into Angel Yard. Both had previously been running businesses from their homes in Edmonton. Warren Campbell runs a wig-making company, Meili Hair, which he set up after returning from China, where he established links with hair suppliers. The firm offers bespoke wigs and fitting, while there are also now chairs for hairstylists to rent at his unit in Angel Yard. Warren, who lives on Snell's Park Estate, said, When I came back from China, I had so much stock, but I had nothing to do with it during the COVID-19 lockdown. So I started making wigs and I became quite competent. I sort of went, it sort of went viral online. It got hard because we were using the spare room as a hair salon. But then my niece came to live with us and we were doing it in the living room or in the garden because it became so overcrowded. I was gagging for this opportunity at Angel Yard. I was so grateful to get it. I believe this area is now a place to come to. There is a feel-good feel factor about it. Another Edmonton entrepreneur is Jotsna Shelley, who finished a Master's in Character Animation this year. The former Edmonton County School student has been running her illustrations business, Jots TV, from her bedroom before the opportunity arose at Angel Yard. You can't get this type of space in London, she said. There is a great community and help available for your business. For me, it is both an office and studio space. I sell stuff here and I have meetings with clients. It is great to have this in the area. 
I volunteer at local schools as well, and it is so deprived. The young people here are just looking for ways to make money. Diotsna explained that an art studio anywhere else in London would cost £600 a month before bills, but she was able to let her unit at Angel Yard at the introductory rate of £200, including bills, giving her time to establish her business. Selina Momodou, Director of Social Enterprise at 4 Street for All, added, The concept of having this space has been yearning for transformation. The idea started during the Olympics and, ten years later, we have been able to change the way this area is seen. Facing up to adulthood, Enfield Theatre Group specialising in shows for and by disabled and disadvantaged people set to tour local schools. Hundreds of teenagers in Enfield special schools and groups will be treated to a unique show aimed at helping them make the move into adulthood. It's My Move is a professional production by Enfield's Facefront Inclusive Theatre, a charity which specialises in shows for and by disabled and disadvantaged people. It also performs in mainstream schools around London and runs several community drama groups. It's My Move follows the lives of a group of young disabled people, highlighting the dilemmas they face as they prepare to move on from school. Using humour and scenes relevant to the pupils, the production helps them, and the adults around them, understand their choices. The show engages the audience with music, movement, poetry and film. Afterwards, pupils are invited on stage to replay scenes and change a script to devise more positive outcomes. The production has a cast of nine, including five young disabled actors. Artistic director Ray Downing said, Making the transition between the stability of school and the uncertainty of adult life can be very difficult for young disabled people and their parents or carers. They experience a huge amount of stress, confusion and fear. This show helps them to understand the options. It's My Move is touring Enfield schools next month. Claire Moloney, Create Manager at Enfield Council, said, It's My Move is a lively, engaging and educational piece of theatre. The forum theatre and participation elements were great, empowering members of the audience to have their voices heard, help problem-solve, take part and have some fun. A really lovely, life-affirming piece of theatre. A young disabled audience member added, This has to be the best performance I have ever seen delivered at a school. It was wonderful to see the interaction between the actors and audience. It's My Move is free for the schools, but this means there is a limit on the number of schools Facefront can reach. Facefront chair Roger Cow explained, We rely entirely on donations and grants and the cost of living crisis affects us the same as everyone. We would like to tour more widely, but there's a limit to how far we can stretch our funding. For more information about It's My Move, visit facefront.org forward slash education forward slash it's dash my dash move. Non-league in London gets booked. Journalist and football supporter Martin Cooper has written about a season-long journey through the world of non-league football in London. Cooper visits new stadiums, meets new people and samples the unique atmosphere which lower league matches can generate. The games he attended were brimming with passion and enthusiasm as many of the sides were either striving for promotion or battling relegation. And each of the 11 chapters in 
Football Matters in the Capital is devoted to a match involving at least one team from London. He describes his journey to the ground, what the stadium looks like and has to offer, the atmosphere, the fans, as well as uncovering some fascinating historical anecdotes. The new publication will appeal to all football fans and especially those who enjoy attending matches, visiting new grounds and experiencing the honest community-led atmosphere of the non-league game. The London teams included in the book are Fisher, Eris Town, Dulwich Hamlet, Dagenham and Redbridge, Barnet, Haringey Borough, Corinthian Casuals, Tooting and Mitcham United, Uxbridge, Wheelstone, Cray Wanderers, Metropolitan Police, Hendon and Enfield Town. Football Matters in the Capital is available from all good bookstores, including Amazon. Happy 120th birthday to Pearsons of Enfield. Pearsons has been an Enfield Town landmark for 120 years and it is inviting you to celebrate this special birthday. Pearsons began in 1903 when brothers Stanley and Arthur Pearson began their family partnership after buying a drapery business on Church Street, Enfield Town. The Pearsons building was damaged in World War II, but the business recovered, expanded and has gone from strength to strength. Celebrate Pearson's 120th birthday between the 27th and 29th of October with giveaways, demos, treats and much more. You can even send them a birthday card. We have reached the end of our programme for this week. But please do stay tuned to listen to an archive episode from September 1982. Thank you for, for listening. So from the team of Joel, Sarah A and not Sarah M, as I said at the beginning of our recording, and myself, and with Hass on the controls. So from us, it's all... Bye! Bye. Please remember to turn over the address label in your postal packet, put the memory stick into the packet in a closed position and return it to us as soon as possible in readiness for the next edition. You can now also listen to our podcast by searching for Enfield Talking Newspaper on your favourite podcast app or listen to us on your smart speaker by saying play podcast Enfield Talking Newspaper. Don't forget you can call Diane de Jersey regarding any help you may require in connection with Enfield Talking Newspaper on 07899854582. That's 07899854582. The Enfield Talking Newspaper will be with you again in one week's time. Hello, this is Hass, and I'm here to introduce a selection of recordings from the Enfield Talking Newspaper archive. A few cassette recordings from the first 50 years of the Talking Newspaper have survived, and once a month you'll hear the local news from the Enfield area as it was from 1974 through to 2011. For this episode from the archive, we're taking a trip back to the 18th of September 1982, when the average UK house price was a little over £22,000, E.T. was the biggest grossing film at the box office and our current theme tune makes its debut in our surviving recordings. And remember, this was originally recorded on cassette, so ignore any instruction to turn the tape over halfway through. (laughs) 
Hello everyone and welcome to this special edition of the Enfield Microphone. With Dateline the 18th of September 1982, we arrive at edition number 500. This is also the 21st year of Enfield's Talking Newspaper. We have a number of special items on this edition and a bumper number of readers. I should warn you that also during this edition you will hear one or two spoof items. If you'd like to send in what you think are the spoof items, we shall put entries into a hat and there will be a prize for the first drawn out. On this edition we start with a flashback 20 years ago to edition number 12 in 1962. We welcome you to Enfield Microphone number 12 in a slightly different style from usual. Our dateline is Sunday, 24th of February, and we bring you a historic edition of the Enfield Gazette for this week's issue was published twice in one day with two front page lead stories. This was due because a very big news story about the borough merger was not known until the Gazette was actually being published. So production was stopped and a new story added. But first, the big lead story of our fortnight. The story of the frightened witness. A witness waiting to give evidence in a case of malicious damage at a public house at Enfield Magistrates Course on January the 28th hurried away without giving evidence after being threatened by a man in a toilet near the court entrance. This was stated at more from the archives later on this tape, but now some current news from your readers who are... Patricia, Peggy, Brian, Dobby, and that was Dennis, you heard just now. Arsenal and Northern Ireland football star Pat Jennings presented a cheque for £1,000 to the guide dogs of the Blind Association at the Gun and Magpie pub in Enfield last Thursday. The money was raised through a series of raffles at the pub in Hartford Road, organised by three regular customers. Mr. Reg Warren, Mr. Keith Minton and Mr. Alan Farrenden. Whitbread's area manager, Mr. Brown Waterman, was at the pub along with representatives from the Sherlock Holmes pub in the West End who trained Mr. and Mrs. Anthony and Anne Pembry, landlords of the Gun and Magpie. Uh, pictured in the photo in the Gazette are our listeners, um, John Davis and Hugh Crane. Hundreds of people flocked to Enfield Town Park to see Capital Radio's Michael Aspel broadcast his morning show live on Thursday the 11th of September. The beautiful sunshine promised an exciting day, and that is what the people of Enfield got. Apart from the attraction of the smooth-voiced Michael Aspel, the crowds were entertained by a stream of Enfield housewives who were given expert makeup and, and hairdressing advice. They sat before the crowd on a small podium while representatives from Videl Sassoon and Mary Quant transformed ordinary people into models of beauty and glamour. One lady from Enfield, Mrs Sandra Smith of Kimberley Gardens, was given the full treatment, her hair cut and makeup. She said we only came down for a joke, and then she and a friend decided to go along to the park, mainly, she confided, to get a glimpse of Mr Aspel, and she found herself with a totally new look. The professionals had done a good job. Her blonde short hair was cropped even shorter, giving her an impish look, and they'd made up her face with pale shiny colours which in the sunshine gave her skin a translucence. Asked if she was pleased with the job, she said you feel a bit of a fool sitting up there, 
but it's a nice way of spending the morning. The new style takes a bit of getting used to, but I do like it. Sixth formers in Enfield schools will not be formally consulted about the major shake-up of secondary education in the borough, but their views will be taken into account. A move to include the 16 to 19 year olds in the formal consultations was re rejected at a meeting of Enfield Council's Education Committee. The Vice Chairman of the Committee, Councillor Alan Amos, said they will not be voting, they are not mature enough. He described the suggestion as an utter nonsense and pointed out that this age group had never before been consulted on major decisions taken in the borough. He was supported by co-opted member Mrs Amy Emsden who said that pupils were not consulted when comprehensive education was brought in, no cons consultation took place then, so why now, she asked. All interested parties will be consulted before decisions are made and they include school governors, teachers and parents. It was Mr Stan Newman who suggested that the 16 to 19 year olds should be included. He was supported by Mr Gow. He said, the 16 to 19 year olds do have something to offer. They have made a conscious effort to decide on their route of further education. They are the customers. It is a fantastic subject for them to discuss among themselves at their own level. Their views would be very valuable. Teacher Ms Ruth Wilkinson said, some schools I have worked in have student governors and they have come up with some good mature ideas. It seems that I have more faith in secondary education in the borough than you do. The planned shake-up is likely to be the biggest change in schooling since secondary modern schools were reshaped in 1967. The suggestions put forward by the officers would mean that some schools would be reduced in size, closed or merged. Among the options to be considered by the committee are the return to selective education, the closure of four schools and the creation of six form colleges. Many of the options are controversial, particularly the return to selective education, and there are bound to be many rows in the council chamber over many months before the final decision is taken. St Michael's Hospital in Jayside Crescent, Enfield, raised £1,000 from its fun-packed open day on Saturday. Hundreds, including MP Mr Tim Egger, the Mayor, Councillor Ms Phillips Oban, and the Mayoress, Mrs Gwen Milner, turned out for the day. Particularly popular was the welly-throwing contest organised by the Theobald's Ward and the pony rides. The pony belonged to the daughter of Mrs Mary Allen, member of staff. The North London Karate Club gave a display of their skills and the Enfield British Red Cross gave a breathtaking resuscitation display. The former sub-post office in South Street, Ponders End, will remain closed and will not be one of two new post offices as was suggested by Mr Tim Egger, MP for Enfield North. This was the decision of Mr Alan Lynch, head postmaster, in a letter replying to the suggestion. Mr Egger had called for the replacement of the Crown Post Office in High Street, Ponders End by two sub-post offices in South Street, Ponders End and Windmill Hill, Enfield. He is concerned for elderly people and young mothers with children who find it difficult to get to the main office. In a letter to Mr Egger, Mr Lynch said, I consider the decision to maintain closure of both offices was the correct one. I can assure you it is not my policy to close sub-offices in order to generate more business at the main post offices. We tried early in the year to get an interview with Princess Alexandra, but she regretted that she was able to give interviews, but we did receive the following letter from her lady-in-waiting. Dear Mrs Reed, thank you very much for your letter of the 7th of February, but I have now, which I have now been able to show to Princess Alexandra. 
The princess is greatly touched that you should have written to tell her about the Enfield Talking Newspaper for the Blind and is therefore with the utmost regret that she has to let you know she is unable to give interviews. Her Royal Highness is delighted to hear that May this year marked the 21st anniversary of the newspaper and is fully appreciating the pleasure and benefit to the blind and partially sighted people from your work. She would particularly like to have been in a position to help. However, as a general rule, the princess has not been in a position to give interviews, and much as she would be glad to make an exception in this instance, she feels that it will be difficult to do so without causing misunderstanding to other people whose requests have already been refused. Nevertheless, Princess Alexandra is extremely sorry to give a disappointing answer, and she only hopes that you will realise her predicament. In thanking you for writing to her, the princess also hopes that the Enfield Talking newspaper will continue and to enjoy every success, and she sends her warmest wishes to you all. Yours sincerely, Moira Mitchell, Private Secretary. And here is an item of local news which follows on from the previous item rather nicely. Princess Alexandra came to Enfield on Wednesday, the September the 1st, to open St Nicholas House and end the 12-month battle to build a home for emotionally disturbed children. Little more than a year ago, the tumble-down ruin was bought by the Richmond Fellowship, an international network of therapy homes, the roof falling in and rain flooding the rooms. But with last-minute lavatory carpets laid on Wednesday morning, the house and its 20 young residents were ready for their royal visitor. Miss Ellie Jansen, who started the fellowship 23 years ago, said it's been an uphill struggle all the way. The princess, who is patron of the Richmond Fellowship, arrived at the house in the Ridgeway to welcome to a welcome from the Mayor and Mayoress of Enfield, Mrs Phyllis Oborn, and her sister, Mrs Gwendolyn Milner. She was then introduced to members of staff before hearing a welcoming speech from Miss Jansen, who pointed out that life at the house was not going to be easy. We have had a very uphill struggle to open this place and have relied on the support of countless volunteers. It's not going to be an easy task coping with children who come to us because of major, major emotional problems. St Nicholas is definitely not the place for staff who want an easy life. We need people who must be prepared to roll up their sleeves once in a while. Miss Jansen added, our aim is to help children learn the folly of destruction and turning inward. Princess Alexandra, in her speech, praised the Fellowship for its pioneering work in residential care and described St Nicholas House as a bold and imaginative project. The warden of St Nicholas, Mr Gerard Kelly, took the princess on a tour of the house where she met and spoke to many of the children. A home for the elderly in Palmer's Green is appealing for people to visit their residence and donate items to brighten up their rooms. Sheridan House at 449 Green Lanes is a private home with 22 pensioners, mainly women, aged between 65 and 95, most of whom have no family or friends. Mrs June Bentley, who has been the matron there for seven months, is concerned that full-time staff do not have enough time to sit and chat with the old people. They're not neglected and they're not lacking in any services, but most of them do not have anyone to come and see them, she said. It would make them feel important if they had visitors or even got a letter. Mrs Bentley said she hoped to get people interested in making fairly regular visits to the elderly people to get, and the elderly could get to know their aunts and uncles. She also put out a request for ornaments, pictures, vases, any other item which would brighten up the rooms and make them more homely. Obviously, we're not talking about valuable articles, but things which you have no further use for, but which would be of great value to the people here, she said. I'm sure there aren't many listeners who know the early history of the Enfield Mike. It all began as the brainchild of some members in the Enfield branch of Tock H. 
Maurice Strivens was one of those founders, and we asked him how the news tape started. It all began about a generation ago, around the end of 1954, I believe. Okay, I had been helping with visiting the blind, amongst whom were some of my best friends, like John Dredge, Gus Hester, and Charlie Appleby, all of whom have now unhappily passed away. At the time, another friend of mine, Jerry Morris, came to give a talk on tape recording to the local branch of Top H. Following this, we came up with the idea of recording extracts from the local newspaper and circulating the programmes amongst the blind people we knew. It was not often realised that though the blind can listen to the national news on radio and TV, they can be completely or very nearly isolated from what is going on around them in their own locality. We had lots of problems, of course. In those days, there were no cassettes. We had little money and few people. But somehow, we managed to circulate a program once a week amongst about five to seven blind people. Then along came the North London Tape Club and changed all that. With their professional skill and resources, it grew into a permanent feature in Enfield. Not only that, I understand the idea spread and that there are now some 200 clubs around the country, which goes to show how big things can grow from little seeds. The great thing about it for me was the fun we had doing it. You know, when you are talking on tape to someone you know well, and who knows you well, you have to have a sense of humour, and that's what makes the world go round. Well, I hope some of this friendly intimacy still remains, and that you will continue to enjoy your programmes as much as I used to enjoy preparing them. Goodbye, and God bless you all. Thank you, Morris. And now we go into some more news with the Enfield Mike signature tune of the early 1960s. entertainment in the borough in the next month. Spring and autumn seem to be the favourite seasons for amateur dramatic companies and choreodrama start the season with Lock Up Your Daughters at the Intimate Theatre from the 21st to 25th September. Programmes to follow at the Intimate include an old-time music hall on two days only, September 26th and 30th. The Owl Chemist, an Elizabethan comedy, is on from September the 27th to 29th and this is followed by another music hall on October the 1st and 2nd. On Sunday October the 3rd the Searchers are in concert at the Intimate and some other well-known names making one-night stands are Kenneth McKellar, Keith Chegwin, Claudia Rogers, Brotherhood of Man and Matt Munro. The Intimate Theatre has a new box office number and this is 8865451. On Sunday, September the 26th, Alan Lumsden plays the Brass Family from the Satchbutt to Saxophone at the Parish Centre, the Green Southgate. Further information can be obtained from Mr Mike Waller, whose telephone number is 449-7291.
On Friday, October the 1st, was a Gilbert and Sullivan evening at Church House, Waterford Road, Southgate, with the newly formed North London Savoy Operatic Society. Information can be obtained from Miss Bridal, telephone number 360-2500. This information is compiled from the Arts Council Time Off magazine, which is available free of charge at the public libraries. And if you have someone to read it to you, we'll give you news of many events we haven't got time to read to you here. Goldie, the golden eagle who escaped from Regent's Park Zoo a few years ago, escaped again last week. He was first spotted perching on top of the Civic Centre in Silver Street before swooping up the mare and carrying her away, legs dangling into the trees in the town park. The mare was rescued by a small boy aiming a stun stun dart at Goldie, making him sleepy and causing him to let go of the mare over the duck pond. Goldie was last seen flapping away in the direction of the wimpy bar, presumably looking for a quick snack. A thriving senior citizens orchestra in Winchmore Hill is piping up for more strings and wind instrument players. They have been playing every Wednesday morning at 10.30am for the last 18 months in the Friends Meeting House, Churchill, Winchmore Hill. This group of 25 to 30 enthusiastic instrumentalists spend the morning playing a wide range of classical and light music for their own entertainment. Their resident conductor is Mr John Owen. The players come from Enfield, Southgate, Edmonton and Barnet and they would welcome anyone in the strings or wind section next Wednesday. Residents have been urged to make a last-ditch attempt to save the War Memorial Hospital in Enfield. Enfield Health Authority had to decide early in autumn what is to be ha- to happen to the Chayside Hospital, but many local groups feel the decision has been or- already been made. The Sir Optimus Club of Enfield and District has taken up the fight against the closure. Dr. Iris Crass, former general practitioner in Edmonton, said in a letter to the Enfield Gazette from the club, closure of this hospital is morally wrong. She hit out at the closure earlier this year of inpatient facilities, especially the loss of the 20 to 25 bed geriatric part of the hospital, and the proposed loss of all outpatient facilities, including x-ray, paediatric development and speech clinics. Speaking about the loss of the geriatric bed, she said, in my view, it is an extremely short-sighted policy when there is a predicted increase in the elderly population. The job of fighting the closure has also been taken up by the War Memorial Action Committee. The chairman of the group, Dr William Moore, said, in a few weeks' time, the health authority is going to make up its mind about the possibility of closure. It is now up to the public to make its voice heard. He appealed to members of the public concerned about the closure to make known to the MP and to the Ministry of Health what is going on and particularly with regard to the fact that a war memorial is going to be brought to an end. An elderly Edmonton couple's tiff over a holiday snap led to tragedy at a seaside camp an inquest in Norwich heard on Wednesday, September the 1st. It started when 73-year-old Mr Charles French posed with two young dancers for, the photo- for a photograph at a Norfolk holiday camp. After the picture was shown to his 68-year-old wife Emily, the couple, who had been married for 50 years, argued, and Mrs French walked into the sea and drowned. Coroner Mr Oliver Pryor, who described the tragedy as a very sad little story, recorded a suicide verdict on Mrs French at Henley Road, Edmonton. 
We are sorry to tell you that Peggy Launder, who has been reading on the newspaper for several years, is now unable to continue. We thank Peggy for her assistance and wish her very well in the future. Tim Edgar, MP for Enfield North, has welcomed the decision by the Department of Education and Science which will make it easier for unemployed young people to attend educational classes without losing their entitlement to unemployment benefit. Mr Egger raised the matter following representations by constituents some nine months ago. Young constituents had found that they could not go to college to study to improve their qualifications because they ran the risk of losing benefits. The new announcement by the department in a circular makes it quite clear that students only lose benefit entitlement if they are actually studying for more than 21 hours a week. The number of hours to be counted relates to the number of hours that the students are actually receiving tuition and no account is taken of lunch breaks. Mr Egger said, I am quite delighted by this announcement since it is clearly sensible that young people without jobs should be encouraged to get further qualifications. You can give the Mayor of Enfield, Councillor Miss Phyllis Oban, a helping hand by buying or selling her special charity lottery tickets. Miss Oban is running a cash lottery in aid of her helping hand charity. Tickets, costing 20 pence each, will be drawn monthly. The first draw is on September the 21st, when cash prizes will be run. The Mayor would like to hear from any organisation which would be able to help by selling tickets. Please contact her secretary at the Civic Centre, Silver Street, Enfield telephone number... Three double And now before our next news item, a word from a well-known personality. Very now. Um, hello, it's Belinda Keith here in the Haymarket Theatre. Many congratulations on your 21st birthday and lots of luck. Thank you very much. And now back in the studio for some more news. A new informal project to help the jobless got off to a good start last Thursday. The drop-in centre at St Paul's United Reformed Church Hall in Old Park Avenue was set up by a committee of the Enfield Town Forty Hill Churches and will run twice a week for at least three months. Director Mr Sid Holtham explained the volunteers were on the premises to give practical advice and lend a sympathetic ear to people with job problems. First of all, we're willing to talk. We have people here who have time to listen. It's a very friendly and informal place. The second thing is we have a lot of information about local services for the unemployed and statutory benefits they're entitled to. We are also prepared to help with things like writing formal letters, making job applications and interview techniques if they are unsure of themselves. We collect the local papers and colour code all the adverts so we can find particular types of jobs quickly. All the volunteers went on a short training course organised by Enfield social workers. The centre is open every Monday and Thursday from 10am to noon. An Enfield woman who with her husband owns more than 100 mice took one of the top prizes at the National Mouse Club annual show. Mr and Mrs Eric Dukes of Downs Road, Enfield keep their pets in a garden shed. They rear them as show mice. Mrs Angela Dukes won the King of Clubs Cup for the best marked mouse in the show held last Saturday at the Lord Morrison Hall, Scales Road, Tottenham. A fencing display by the British and Commonwealth champions was one of the highlights of the successful fete at Arnold House Cheshire Home in Enfield on Saturday. The fete in the grounds of the home in the Ridgeway raised £2,500 towards their building appeal. The money will go towards the £130,000 that is still needed to pay for the specially adapted extension which has enabled the home to double their number of residents to 20. 
Parents are being urged to put pen to paper in a protest against the proposal for a major upheaval in Enfield's education system. Potters Bar Labour representative, Councillor Peter Hammett, claims that parental choice will be lessened if the Enfield Council's plan to cope with falling roles go ahead, goes ahead. In a 20-page report presented to the Education Committee last week, the Borough Education Chiefs outlined the options which would drastically change schools and colleges throughout the borough. These include a controversial return to selective education and the closure of four secondary schools and the setting up of six-form colleges. It's come under fire from Councillor Hamid, who sees it as a further attack on parental choice. At the moment, lots of parents are dissatisfied with the appeals procedure which allows them to object if they cannot get their child into their chosen school, he said. It is very ineffective, and most people think it's a device to transfer the responsibility of telling the parents the bad news from the education authority to us. The closure of schools will further restrict the choice. If they're dissatisfied at the moment with 20 schools, they will be even more so with only 16, he warned. He is urging parents to write to the council for a copy of the document which lists the alternatives. It is proposed to have been sent to all interested parties. But the most interested parties are the parents themselves, he said. He is carrying out a survey to gather the views of parents and ask them to read the document and to contact him at 23 Cassisfield, Enfield, EN36BB, or Lee Valley, 719173. A one million centre which will keep Middlesex Polytechnic in the forefront of research in microelectronics opens on October the 8th. The centre at the Polytechnic's Bounds Green site will offer a wider range of research and teaching facilities than any other academic centre of its kind in the country. The project is the brainchild of Dr John Butcher, who established the original centre in 1967. The 400-square-metre centre was built to industrial standards and will be used to make, design and test microchips the tiny electronic computers which have revolutionised modern industry. Dr Butcher said that the facilities would be comparable to those in the modern industrial world. The 14 staff and 10 research students at the centre are working on projects which break new ground in the electronics industry. One scheme, piloted by Exeter University, involves miniaturising devices to put under the skin of patients suffering hip disorders. The device, which is still in the experimental stages, will measure the pressure on the ball and sock joint and feed information back to hospital computers. Staff at the centre teach on Master of Science degree and higher diploma courses and run an unusual series of short courses for people working in fields related to microelectronics. An Enfield family pulled up in a taxi from a dream holiday in America to find their new £62,000 house burning down before their eyes. Mr Patrick Corrie and his wife Carol had only just bought the three-bedroom detached house in Chase Court Gardens, Enfield, before they took their 12-year-old son Paul on a three-week holiday. The next time they saw their new home, there were firemen on the roof and family and neighbours were standing around helplessly watching. Neighbours had alerted the firemen at 7am. They had the fire under control half an hour later, but by the time the Corries arrived home, the house was badly damaged. All the rooms upstairs were destroyed, so was the roof and the loft. Mrs Corrie had left many of her possessions still wrapped in their boxes in the loft, including her clothes. Everything was destroyed. The fire had started inside a linen cupboard in the hall upstairs. 
A wiring defect had short-circuited the immersion heater which started the fire. Mrs. Corrie said, At first I thought they were making a big fuss because it didn't look too bad from the outside. But when I went inside later in the day, I was really shocked when I saw how much it was burnt. It looked as if a bomb had fallen on the house. Bernard Garbinger of Winchmore Hill had a frightening experience last week when a careless workman left off of the lid of a manhole in Green Lanes. Bernard fell down eight feet before landing in a cushion of semi-solid sewage, which carried him two miles before precipitating him headfirst into a main drainage tunnel. Clutching at a passing orange box, Bernard was carried 40 miles to South End before being discharged onto a mudflat. Luckily the tide was out, said Bernard, or I would have been carried out to the continent and I didn't have my passport with me. Bernard is considering suing the president of the Winchmore Hill Women's Institute, who he claims distracted him with her hat at the crucial moment, causing him to miss his footing. MP slams closure. Edmonton MP Mr Ted Graham has hit out against the proposed closure of the Woodgreen Southgate Hospital. In a letter to the area administrator of the Haringey Health Authority, he said he was appalled at the decision. Referring to the so-called temporary closure, he said, I've no faith in them and I will be greatly relieved if and when the hospital opens. He asked the District Health Authority to appeal to the government to provide additional funds to keep the hospital going. He pointed out that 45% of all patients at the hospital live in Enfield area. This hospital has an unparalleled reputation for having satisfied and happy patients. I depressingly conclude that this will be sacrificed, he added. He also called for a meeting between MPs and the Minister of Health. And with that item, we come to the end of part one of this edition, which is continued, part two is continued on the other side of the tape. So after this piece of music, please turn over the tape. Well, if you'd like to turn over right now, you can hear part two of this, the 500th edition of the M4 microphone. Turn over now, please. Welcome back to part two of the 500th edition, and it's over to Richard Collinson to introduce this part of the edition. Everybody ready? Prepare to record signature tune. OK with the stopwatch, Joe. And after the introduction, come straight in with the lead stories. Right, John? Absolute silence, please. Starting now. <coughs> Who let Patricia in? Patricia, come here. I don't care if you have won something in the children's dog show. Heal, Patricia, heal. So you've just come first in the dog's fancy dress at the town park. Right now, we're just starting the Enfield... <laughs> now look here, John, you keep out of this. Stop it, will you? Then we might be able to get a start on something that goes like... 
Enfield microphone. News, views and interviews in and around Enfield. Thank you, Richard. And for this second uh, half of this edition, the readers on this edition will be... Peter. June. And myself, Jeff. And Peter's going to kick off with the first item of news. Ten days after passing his driving test, a Potter's Bar schoolboy was involved in a crash which killed one of his friends. But a senior police officer told Dr David Paul, the Hornsey coroner, that no prosecution had been considered against Graham Watts of Darks Lane. The accident happened in the Ridgeway in Enfield on the 6th of May and Andrew Justin Trosdale, aged 17, of Billy Lowe's Lane Potter's Bar, died soon after from head injuries and a ruptured spleen. The youth had been wearing a seatbelt and was a front seat passenger in the car with Mr Watts and two others, all school friends from Owen School Potter's Bar, when the car, when the, the car went out of control and hit a tree. After handing out a large number of sleeping tablets to a Ponder's End girl, the chemist rang the doctor who had signed the prescription because he was suspicious that it may have been altered. The doctor confirmed that some sort of fraud had taken place and the police were called in. At Tottenham Court, Gillian Doyle, aged 29, unemployed of Curlew House, Ponder's End, appeared with her boyfriend, George Glover, unemployed of the same address. Doyle admitted obtaining tablets by deception from Cross and Herbert Chemists, High Street, Ponder's End, on June the 10th, and Glover admitted ta undertaking in the disposal of the same tablets at his home address on the same date. At an earlier hearing, Police Sergeant Anthony Groom told the court that Doyle had obtained a legitimate prescription from her doctor, who had been dis prescribing the drug for some years. She altered the figure to give the impression that larger quantities were required and cashed the docket at the chemist's. As soon as the chemist discovered the prescription had been altered, he called the police who went round to Doyle's flat. Glover was in at home alone, and while the police conducted a search, he tried to hide the tablets in the waste disposal unit. The magistrate placed Doyle on probation for two years and ordered Glover to do 120 hours community service. Changes in hospital care for the elderly, mentally ill, and mentally handicapped were discussed by Enfield Council's Social Services Committee last week. The committee were presented with a report on consultative papers issued by the North East Thames Regional Health Authority. The committee have until November the 5th to comment on the suggestions. Basically, the report suggests a strategy for the next 10 years under the assumption that there will be no overall growth and revenue funds will be met from current resources. Enfield received a pat on the back for its care of the mentally handicapped. The Regional Health Authority said that Enfield was the only district in the region who provided an adequate service for the mentally handicapped. This statement is based on the fact that there are 180 beds in Chase Village Unit, where in fact only 54 are in use. 
to finance the setting up of more local services for the mentally ill, the authorities suggest the closure of Freeham Barnet Hospital. A number of Enfield patients are in long-stay wards at Freeham. The closure of Claybury Hospital, Woodford Bridge, was also recommended. Claybury admits patients from the, Enf from the Edmonton area. The authority do not suggest where patients will be transferred to from the two hospitals if they close. At the moment, the present level of facilities for the elderly, elderly mentally ill is well below standard, according to the report. There should be 98 beds and 98 day places in the district, but even with the opening of a unit in Highlands Hospital, Winchmore Hill, there will be 28 beds and 15 day places, the report says. The proposals advocate the closure and redesignation re of two acute wards in each district general hospital to geriatrics. The Social Services Committee Chairman, Councillor Mrs Anne Lindsay, asked, where on earth are we going to find two acute wards to close? The committee suggested that Chesant Cottage Hospital and Enfield War Memorial Hospital, presently under the threat of closure, could be used as homes. The Social Services Committee decided to ask for a meeting with the Health Authority officers as soon as possible before submitting their comments. The controversial plan for a complete facelift on the North Circular Road at Edmonton was the subject of a heated public meeting on Friday the 10th of September. Raynham School in Upper Edmonton was packed with 240 worried councillors and residents, many of whom will lose their homes if the plans go ahead. Most of their objections sprang from the possibility of buildings having to be demolished, the lack of amenities and the increase in noise, pollution and vibration. The meeting was called by Mr Ted Graham, MP for Southgate, and chaired by Councillor Mrs Rita Smythe, Chairman of Edmonton Labour Party. Mr Graham Reynolds of the Greater London Road and Traffic Division of the Department of Transport pointed out that the plans were only proposals and nothing was definite. The plans are for two schemes which will run alongside each other on the North Circular from Stirling Way in Edmonton to Walthamstow Avenue. The main scheme involves a dual two-lane underpass to segregate traffic from 4th Street and Victoria Road, Edmonton, and other local traffic, with existing traffic movements being maintained at 4th Street and a new controlled junction at Victoria Road. The other scheme from Dysonis Road, yes, Dysonis Road and uh, to Hall Lane will be chosen from two possible options. The first would be an improvement along the line of the existing road with two flyovers at Montague Road and Hall Lane. The second would mean the road being diverted on a viaduct through the industrial areas with the existing North Circular remaining as a service road. Mr Charles Jackerman of the Weir Hall and District Ratepayers Association said his main concern was for the people trying to get across the proposed footbridge to the North Middlesex Hospital. I certainly would not attempt to go up and over that, and I would rather risk my life by crossing the main road. There are thousands of other people, people with heart conditions or in wheelchairs, who have to visit the hospital, and it would be impossible for them to get there, he said. Mr Reynolds admitted that the department were not happy with the footbridge, but any other plans would mean taking away part of the forecourt of the hospital, which was out of the question. At the end of the meeting, Mr Graham said... This is just the beginning of your making sure that what your community wants is to be listened to carefully. He urged people to write to councillors and their MPs with their objections. 
An all-out campaign to try and stem out car tax dodgers in Enfield could be launched early next year. For the Department of Transport have told the MP for Enfield North, Mr Tim Egger, that their officers will be back will back Enfield Council if they decide to launch a campaign. Following local publicity, Mr Egger has received a large number of letters from constituents backing him in his campaign to ensure that action is taken against people who have untaxed cars. And recently he received a letter from Mrs Linda Chalker, the Parliamentary Under-Secretary of State at the DOT, stating, You can be sure that if Enfield Council do show an interest, my officials would willingly cooperate. Mr Egger said this week, I am delighted that the department is keen to cooperate with the council and I will be urging them to make contact in order to arrange the campaign. The current level of evasion is simply not acceptable to the majority of law-abiding motorists. I know how strongly people feel about this from the terms of the letters I receive. Two Enfield War veterans have paid tribute to the brilliant wartime life of Sir Douglas Bader, who died recently. Mr Arthur Higarty of Carisbrook Close, Enfield, spent several weeks working with Sir Douglas during the war. He said of Sir Douglas, I always remembered his attitude to the lower ranks. He seldom stood on ceremony. It was Bill, Frank or Arthur once he knew you. He added, I count it a privilege to have known him. These sentiments were echoed by Mr Harvey Clark, chairman of the Royal Air Forces Association in Enfield. He worked with Sir Douglas on several occasions, usually in relation to his work for injured ex-servicemen. He said, he was a great chap. The world is going to be a very much worse place without Sir Douglas. Sir Douglas was our inspiration during the war. He was a great leader and he never stopped working even after the war. A frisky young foal delighted visitors to the open weekend at Capel Manor Institute of Horticulture and Field Studies in Enfield. The manor in Boresmore Lane was open to the public recently for the seventh in a series of eight open weekends. The theme was chrysanthemums, crafts and produce. Over 1,000 people turned up and wandered around the grounds and stables which are leased to the Horses and Ponies Protection Association. One of the displays was the early show of the Enfield and District Chrysanthemum Society, but the show was overshadowed by the prospect that it may not run for much longer because of lack of money. In the past, the Society got the use of a marquee and tables free from Enfield Council and the Arts Council, but now they are being charged £50 for the marquee and £1 for each of the 46 tables. Mr Albert Wilkinson, Secretary of the Society, said he could not see the show going on in one or two years' time because they just could not afford to stage it. Well, as you've noticed, there's uh, plenty of comings and goings on this edition. As you notice, Dave will have just read. Um, Peter's now gone, and we've got Alf now, and he's got a bit of news about Trent Park. Hello us. there. Nice to be on the Five Hundreds edition. Uh, on a previous edition, we talked about the uh, trial for the blind in Trent Park, and now uh, Ron Stevenson of Cockfosters has something more to tell us about it. The uh, trial for blind people, which is used um, quite a lot, obviously by Moyne and myself with our two dogs, Kim and Pippa, and it's used also by uh, uh, Jean McVeigh and her guide dog, Farina, by uh, Ron Langford from East Barnet with his dog, Foster. Um, Oh, it's quite a few 
uh, blind people come from, I suppose, about ten miles radius, and we often meet them up in the park. And, of course, during the summer, it's used by people from all over the country. They come down, <laughs> they actually come down in coach loads, and they picnic in the park, and the blind people, of course, can use the trail. And uh, as a result of this, they've had um, the visits from people all over the world, and the trail has, in fact, now been copied in very many countries, including uh, America and Canada, South America, Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, and Japan. And they're just a few of the countries that I know of. It's been written about in many, many journals, and uh, it did, in fact, win first prize for the park manager at that time with George Matthews, a, a publication, I think it's produced by the GLC, covering all the parks in the London area, and because of the, uh, the, u the uniqueness of the, of the blind trail, he in fact won a prize. So, um, in answer to your question, it is still being used by locals, and uh, a copy of the trail is being used by blind people all over the world now. Maureen and I did a, a program on um, Radio 3 on the World Service, London Calling, it was called, and uh, we were interviewed by a chap named Gordon Snell, and uh, that went out on the World Service, caused quite a lot of interest. And, uh, of course, we, we, we did a broadcast, as you know, on the In Touch program and guideline. Anyway, the, par uh, the, the park now uh, is able to boast um, a cafe or a restaurant, I don't know what they call it, but uh, it'll be finished in about a month's time and uh, you'll be able to get uh, snacks there, hot and cold drinks and uh, not quite sure what the, what the menu will be but uh, it'll be quite useful now. It means that you can spend the whole day in the park and you can have a nice meal there. And of course there is the picnic area there. So, hope to see some of you um, on or around the trail. Uh, perhaps this year, if not, uh, say, from next spring onwards. So all the best from Ron, Maureen, Kim, and Pippa. Thanks, Ron, for that contribution. Of course, Ron is one of our long-term listeners here. Just to carry us uh, through the night, uh, I'd like to read you one or two of my favourite quotations. The first one is attributed to Marilyn Monroe. Before she became a great film star and earned money by posing in the nude, of course. After she had attained stardom, a reporter asked her, Did you really have nothing on when you posed for those pictures? Oh no, smiled Marilyn, I had the radio on. Another one I, I liked was uh, a chap was warned by his doctor against too much high living. Can you guarantee, doctor, he asked, that if I give up drinking, smoking and sex, I shall live longer? No, replied the doctor, it will seem longer though. The other ones... I. Uh, <laughs> The other ones I like is the ones to W.C. Field, who was uh, on his deathbed, and uh, one of his friends uh, went in to see him to give his last respects, and he found him reading the Bible. And he said to him, well, I very much like you reading the Bible. What are you actually looking for? So W.C. Field said, a loophole. <laughs> and when he died on his tombstone, he said, I'd rather be here than in Philadelphia. But whether that's true or not, I don't know. The other one I liked was Woody Herman, who said, uh, he said, I don't fear dying at all, he said, but I, but I hope I'm not there when it happens. <laughs> Over to you. <coughs> oh, dear. Uh, <laughs> now, a pensioner who is a regular patient at the threatened Woodgreen and Southgate Hospital 
has criticised the proposal to close it. Miss E. R. Vandy, who is 92, described the hospital as absolutely necessary in a letter to the District Health Authority this week. Miss Vandy, who lives in Fox Lane, Palmer's Green, um, praised the work of the staff at the hospital. She said, I have been and am now again an inmate, and I would most earnestly ask you to do all in your power to keep this grand institution open so that the wonderful work may go on. An appeal for money to replace a roof at St John the Evangelist Church in Palmer's Green has met with an astonishing response from the church members. The plea went out in September's church magazine for £2,500 on a loan basis to repair the leaking roof and help maintain it during the harsh winter months. Treasurer Mr Colin Davis said they had received all the money but £50 within four days and were confident that cash would keep pouring in. He said the problem was caused by thieves constantly stealing valuable lead from the roof. The church asked for £10 or more from the members to be repaid within the year at 5% interest. We have got to get this work done now before the winter and we needed the money quickly. We hope next year, when we have more regular income from members who promise to give a certain amount each year, to repay, he said. The church, which is 75 years old and is in Green Lanes, will have the roof of the north and south aisles replaced. Now, here's a short item about the new shopping precinct in Enfield. The new shopping precinct in the centre of Enfield is running into trouble even before it is open. The precinct, which stretches from Sydney Road to Sarnsfield Road and was hoped to be open by Christmas this year, has been undermined by moles. The moles, estimated to be in their thousands, have tunnelled under Cecil Road from the town park. Enfield's rodent expert, Reginald Stote, said the moles are believed to have been attracted by the large number of worms disturbed by the building works. Said Mr Stote, 43, unless the building contractors take precautions at once, serious damage will be caused. It has been found, in fact, that the moles react to a certain sonic resonance which, Mr Soate says, occurs exactly in the middle bars of the National Anthem. The contractors have now issued orders to all their men to whistle, hum or even sing the National Anthem at all times. At last, Mr Stote says, we can be sure of saving the shopping centre of Enfield. Four old people's homes and a psychiatric hostel were visited by the Mayor of Enfield, Councillor Miss Phyllis Oborn, last week. The Mayor was on an informal tour of the Council Social Services buildings on Wednesday of last week, and she spent a long time chatting to staff and residents. The first call was at Windmill Psychiatric Recuperative Hostel for men and women in Windmill Hill. From there she went to the Coppice Wood Lodge, Grove Road, The Grove in Chase Road, 44 The Ridgeway, and Ingleborough in Cavell Drive. The Acting Director of Social Services, Mr Thomas Holloway, accompanied the Mayor. She spoke to all the residents and they obviously enjoyed her being there and the staff have been very appreciative of the visit, he said. During a recent visit to the Haymarket Theatre to see Hobson's Choice, Valerie and I managed a few words with Trevor Peacock. Trevor has appeared in many West Ham plays and has appeared on television and has in fact written many musicals. He's also an ex-member of Enfield Grammar School and he remembers his sixth form days there. One of, them, one of them's the sort of second-in-command of Warner Brothers in L.A. One of them runs the biggest advertising business in this country. Uh, one of them's a member on the Stock Exchange. 
One of them conducts the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Uh, what else is it? There's those two at run of insurance brokers. There's me laughing around. <laughs> Make people laugh. Um, I can't, re I can't, can't remember. One's a psychiatrist. They all, the, the whole form did extraordinarily well. Mm, they sometimes get a crop like we that. We still don't meet, they? you know, we still meet. We went back to the grammar school, actually, about, about two years ago. We had a mad weekend because it was all, all that whole thing about us based on being ridiculous. We thought, mm. well, the, the, we developed our ideas through some sort of taking everything to an exaggerated state, you know. And we used to do all sorts of wonderful things. When we went back two years ago, we went, we booked a hotel in, in Enfield. We took our wives and, uh, and uh, spent two days there. Cost us a thousand pounds for the two days. And we, and we did we did everything that was potty. We had, we 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 ran. I ran a, uh, an exhibition of old Hoovers in the hotel. And everybody, we got all these terrible old Hoovers and put them all over the place. It said, you know, this is a mark for. Benning Wimpole Hoover, you know, he said, oh look, there's a mark for Wim Benning Wimpole. It was all rubbish. <laughs> all the people in the hotel studied it all very carefully. So Hoover is an art form? Yes, yeah, yes. I had a Hoover there saying, Hoover used by Nellie Wallace in 1922. They said, oh look, look, it's a Nellie Wallace used it. It's all <laughs> rubbish. And the whole thing was about rubbish. We, we used to believe that if you did things in an extreme way like that. It released you and you could sort of do anything. We had one of the vicar was one who we went to church. We had a sharabang too, he used to take us all over Enfield. We went to church and the Reverend Henry Morgan, who wasn't actually one of us, he was in the year ahead of us. He was the vicar, he's the vicar of St Andrews now. And he preached a comical sermon. <laughs> and we, we did things all over Enfield. Now we used to have a game called throwing a radish. You used to hang a sock up and you have to run up like like cricket, you know, if you ever watch sport and say, you know, now let's be serious about what are these men doing, you know, in cricket, which I love, you know. And you see some fool rushing up with all sorts of wild movements of his arms, then fling a ball at three pieces of wood, and it's crazy. So we used to have this flinging the radish, and, and lots of people joined in, old ladies said, you know, oh, could I have a carriage? <laughs> she used to run up fling the radish and then the vicar did it and all oh, the vicar's doing it so it's all all great very funny yes did you go into acting straight after school I, well, I did a lot at school i remember you know they the uh, i did i used to they the masters were all saying you must do some work you know and i, I didn't seem to see that it was of any importance at all which is looking back in hindsight it was much more important than i did plays i did i got school certainly i got higher schools but i didn't go on to you know i went straight into the army then we all did and uh, all I did in the army was put on plays. And I went to teach at training college and just put on plays all the time. <laughs> and suddenly I had to teach. I did teach for a year in Edmonton, Cuckoo Hall. If anybody knows about Edmonton, I used to cycle there to, to Edmonton every day and teach. I did that for a year and then suddenly I went into cabaret and started, you know. But it was a long, I was a long while maturing. Uh, how do you get on with the other members in this particular play? Oh, very well. Uh, very well indeed, really. You know, it's, it's, people think that actors are maybe a bit uh, bitchy, but they're not really. They're wonderful people. No, you don't find being a henpecked husband on the stage oh, no. rubs off onto your relationship no. in real life. Okay, oh, I'm, I'm supposed to be having tea with her now. I'm doing the show. It's panicky, but uh, she, she's very good. She gives, she gives you know, she's, we all. She's got a big dressing room upstairs, so we all go and have tea up there, and it's fun, you know, usually. And. Uh, we're very friendly. Now I chase her about and tell her, let her know what's what. 
tipped over her husband sometimes with beers. It was a rather large policeman. Oh, yes, I have, so I have, I have seen him. So I watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, on the same subject, do you ever find that there is a cast that you can't get on with? Not really, no. I, I mean, maybe one's lucky. I'm sure, I mean, in every business there's people who don't get on sometimes. Yeah. So, of course, you come across yeah. it. Um, but somehow or other, you know, in the theatre especially, it doesn't matter so much in television because you you prepare it and then you do it once, then you're gone, you know. You say goodbye and half of them you'll never see again. Yeah. But in the, you've got to live together as a team for a long while in a play usually, and uh, so you know you've got to get on fairly well. And if you serve the play well, and the play's the important thing and not what you're doing, which is the key to everything, you know. I mean, if you if you really do believe in the play, that's why if you're in a bad play, it's awful because you don't believe in it and, and everything starts to fall aside. That part of the scenes. But if you believe in it and want to give it to the public, then you know that that's a common cause, and the common cause binds you together, as in everything else. You know. Yes. Have you done much television? Yes, I've been doing more. I didn't used to like television very much, but I I, I started off by writing television because I knew all about it. And I, I didn't like not having an audience. And in the end, when I got to the point where I could to choose what I did, instead of just hoping somebody gave you something to do, I did go back to it, and I've done quite a lot now. And uh, uh, of, of all sorts, you see, it's very strange. I, I can do... I've just done two uh, Shakespeare's again. I've done three altogether, but I did two last winter, winter and early spring, which they come out, I think, next winter, about January. Yes, you don't um, find it as satisfying as live theatre. It can be now and then. It's not really, no. Any actor will tell you in the end that, you know, acting is about being on the stage. But it's much better than films where, you you know, you can really have nothing nothing to do with the thing. Uh, sometimes that happens in, you know, in the Borgias. I was in the Borgias. <laughs> famous, infamous, <laughs> serious that was. Sorry, <laughs> Except they shown all around the world, you know. So one uh, one had to do it to make sure a lot of money. Mm. Yes, did you well, understand the Pope's accent? Now, well, I've never talked to uh, Alfred. Was Alfredo Celli, isn't it? Played mm. the Pope. Yeah, I was never in his scenes. But they was wonderful. I mean, he used to fly me out. I, used to, I remember once they flew, flew me to... I went out six times to Italy. And they flew me out one day. I learned the scene on the aeroplane. It's not like the theatre. So you grow to become part of the plane. In that sort of television, which is like filming, all broken up. You say, well, which episode is it? And they, you know, I'm going to today. And so it's episode uh, six. So you look up episode six while the air hostess brings you a drink. <laughs> and you see your scene, you learn it. And uh, it's a scene in which I rushed in from the hunt and sort of shouted at everybody and slammed the door and, and instead had a scene and went out. And when I got there, and I, you, you go to the hotel and you get up in the morning and they drive you out to this castle and put the costume on you and put the whiskers on you. And then, I, I went in, they said, you ready, Trevor? So I said, yes. So I ran in and slammed the door and they said, right, that's it. I said, no, there's a whole scene. They said, no, we're doing the whole scene later, next month. <laughs> so I said, why? So, because so-and-so isn't here. He's on another location. So I said, oh, you've flown me out here to slam the door? I said, yes. So I got back on the plane and came home again. So you, you aim to stay in the theatre? Really? Well, no, I, I mean, I like to do television because it, it is, you know, it does pay more, pays more money <laughs> than the theatre does. Mm. The theatre pays quite good money now, and, uh, but, uh, but now I've got a new family, you see. I started all over again. I got one of three and one of four months, so. And I'm moving out, so I, I, I have to do rather well where the pennies are concerned, and so one's got to do television. And, I do. and you're going into a musical soon, aren't you? Well, I'm not going to play in it. I've written it with... Uh, 
with Alan Price, and uh, I, I, I don't like playing something I've written myself because you, you, you can't, you know, if you've written something, you should stand back and watch when you're preparing it. And if you're in it, you can't do that. Yes, Tom, Tom Courtney's going to play Andy Cap. And, oh, uh, is it about the character in the Daily Mirror? Yes, it is, yeah. yeah. Well, I think I'll have to stop now because, you know, the tapes yes. aren't very long. Where, where, and, or do all the hospitals in Enfield hear this? Um, not hospitals, but <laughs> blind and partially oh, yes. sighted. Oh, yes. In Enfield. It's our 21st anniversary this year. Good. So we want to make a rather special edition. Yeah. Oh, well, very nice. Well, very nice to greet you all, <laughs> folks. Well, thank you for that, Valerie. Um, we hope you have enjoyed this 500th edition, but before we go, it's, it's over to Alf for a late news flash. Yes, I've just been handed this uh, late news flash. Billy Bunting, the infamous juvenile villain, was captured today after a four-mile chase through Enfield Town following a raid on the local sweet shop. But not before the police had uh, stood up against the wall, closed their eyes and counted up to 100. Well, that's about all... That's about all we have time for in this edition. We've had a little bit of a laugh doing it, and we hope you've <laughs> yes, enjoyed it. it as well. So from this 500th edition, it's goodbye from myself, Jeff, me, Alf, and myself, Dave, and everybody else on the team.